When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for tuning in to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please subscribe to our weekly Boston Bruins Hockey Talk on listening platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify Podcasts. We'd certainly appreciate it if you give us show a five-star rating along with a written review. You can also subscribe to our official YouTube channel for a video version of our weekly program. If you'd like to support our show financially, please go to our blackandgoldhockey.com website and click on our affiliated fanatics banner before shopping online another way to financially support our weekly program is to become a patreon member to be eligible for weekly boston hockey prizes and monthly boston bruins hand signed jersey giveaways please go to patreon.com slash black and gold hockey podcast and donate just one dollar per episode many thanks for the continued support and enjoy the show everybody welcome to another episode of the black and gold hockey podcast this episode 338 is brought to you by FanDuel the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS media network uh, right now you can sign up at fanduel.com boston because right now new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000 if you'd like to interact with our show as well and our hosts and uh, our future guests give us a call and leave a brief voicemail on our BNG listener hotline at 978-504-2727. You can also send us your questions on Twitter by using the hashtag AskBNG. And we also ask that you subscribe to our official Black and Gold Hockey Podcast YouTube channel for more Boston Bruins news on the NHL level all the way down to the prospects that are worldwide. Please hit that dis- uh, the subscribe tab and the notification bell so you can get notified as soon as we upload new Bruins-related content. Now, I'm going to kick it over to my co-host, Mr. Mark Alred, joining us again after uh, having to take a week off. Hopefully, you're feeling better this weekend, my friend. Oh, so much better. So much better. I think having a whole week off and just relaxing and maybe overdoing it a little bit on the partying at my age 
finally caught up with me on Friday and Saturday last week where I was like physically sick um, and, and worn out that I just couldn't get a pod out. So uh, apologies to um, you know, everybody, all our listeners for the inconvenience and, and to obviously you guys for the 11th hour notice. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm much better. Uh, we got a boatload of things to talk about and we do have a guest as, as the YouTube viewers now can see. Uh, it's uh, Jay Pike, my friend. Uh, he uh, operates, runs and operates the uh, the Baked Bear Hockey Podcast on the Black and Gold Productions Sports Media Company's podcast mm-hmm. network. So, Jay, welcome back to the program, my friend. I can now say you are a friend of the show with two appearances. Hey, that, I've never been called that before. That's great. <laughs> called a lot of things, but never that. So, uh, yeah, happy that I could hop on. Happy to uh, get the chance to do it. Absolutely. We appreciate you coming in for uh, covering up for Grace. Um, Grace Roberts, who um, we can't get in touch with uh, when we were recording. So we reached out uh, to our network and uh, and thankfully you, you had time to join us. So truly appreciate the opportunity to talk to you again, my friend. Cheers. Let's do it. We actually have some some news from the week. Mark, I'm not sure where you want to get started, but I know last uh, last recording we were talking about uh, Mark McLaughlin hadn't signed yet. This this past week they signed him. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure I nailed that one on the head. One year, two way deal. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Like he was throwing darts, my man. <laughs> I, but I'm not that good at darts. <laughs> what Either What are your I. thoughts on the deal? Uh, it looks like he'll make about 100k in the AHL if that's where he ends up. But it's a two way deal worth 775k at the NHL level. So far, no news on Bergeron. So Mark McLaughlin is a center. What's your read into this, guys? Um, I think it's another depth signing, but a smart one. Uh, Mark McLaughlin has not quite yet. I think he's, per our good friend Dom Tiano, I believe his 56 games away, NHL games, that means, uh, for him to be uh, waiver exempt. So basically he will be in the NHL uh, vying for a roster spot this, uh, this fall. Um, you know, because Don Sweeney did say many times in these last, uh, you know, end of year press conferences that the the lineup could be a little bit of youthful, a little bit of youth implemented, um, you know, moving forward. So uh, Mark is going to have that opportunity to secure a spot. The smart thing about it is, is because he doesn't have all those games that if he doesn't make a roster spot, he can go to the AHL and be an asset down there, a depth piece. Uh, a break glass in case of emergency, probably the the next call up if you need somebody at center or the or the right wing, um, and I think it's just another good piece. Uh, and hopefully he you know comes out and makes the spot because there's a lot of veterans that recently got signed that are going to challenge younger players like Mark McLaughlin for roster spots during the upcoming camp. Well, I kind of full on with Mark. Like it's a great depth signing. I don't see McLaughlin like you. Even you're bringing up Bergeron in connection with the signing. I was like, no, that doesn't. It, the two things don't. Uh, they don't have anything to do with each other to me. But he's got a shot. Like he's got to look at this team this year and think I can make this roster. Like if he comes into camp and he shows up and plays, however he you know whatever he thinks his best is, I think he's got a shot at making the roster. And I think for he's not the only one, but there's you know these other young guys who are you know these two way contracts. I think they see opportunities too, so I'm excited for him. I know if there were people that thought he'd make the club last year, but who was he getting in above, right? So that last year, he had to look at it and go, ooh, but this year, this is a chance for him to make some noise before 
cap goes up too. Yeah, I do want to. I do want to add one more thing. Is um is the way the contract works. This also creates a little bit of a landscape for both sides of the coin here. When you're talking about Bruins management and the player Mark McLaughlin, there might be a better opportunity for NHL consistency after this next season, where he could sign an NHL deal and stay up there on a, as a regular member. So yeah. that might have been a negotiation tactic to keep the Mass native locally and with his, you know, his uh, his favorite Boston Bruins team growing up. Um, so. I mean, this year is such a transition year when you think about this roster and all these vets that came in, the rookies or, or the, the youthful members of the system that are going to be challenging for roster spots. It's just going to be a really interesting offseason. And I'm not all the, the doom and gloom about these signings that were made. We got, I think we got some players that are on great deals. We didn't like go out and reach for one or two players at $3 million a piece. We got seven players, seven to eight players that at pretty good discount. So uh, it should be interesting how everything pans out. And I don't think these, like these vets, if the young guys can't come in and play better, if you're not playing better than Van Riemsdyk, that how Van Riemsdyk's a good signing, right? Like there's these vets here on cheap deals that the young guys, if you can outplay them, do it. If not, then we have the vets that are ready to go. Insurance policy. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and, and if you look at kind of how he's doing it, like, you very easily could pencil in your first line of Marshan, Coyle, and Pasternak just done. And then slide Coyle down if Bergeron does come back. Like, there's there's options there. But then you have DeBrusque and Zaka and Van Riemsdyk. Like, so you're really just kind of throwing a bunch of shit together in the bottom six and saying, okay, who's going to float? Who's going to swim? Sink or swim? And the best six are going to be on this roster. The seventh, the best, the seventh guy, the, our, our Ralphie Cox is going to be our, our 13th forward. And uh, the rest of you, good luck getting through waivers. If you're, if you're not waiver exempt, then you'll go to Providence. They're all those kind of guys too. <laughs> you know, Yeah. I, I think a guy like AJ Greer is going to really push or get pushed. You know, I don't think anybody's going to cry if he ends up go, going on waivers early in the year. I'd be okay with losing him on waivers if that means Oscar Steen has performed better and outperformed him. You know, I, I, if Jesper Boquist, who was also just signed, you know, I, I think there's something that could be there, a very, very much like Pavel Zaka when they first acquired him. You know, untapped potential in that player who could play bottom six possibly has the talent for top six you just don't know because he's been in such a bad turmoil situation that just let it all unfold what that means too is you've got tons of guys who are intrinsically motivated their motivation is coming from right deep in their chest now so those are guys it's going to be every night this is my chance because if i don't do it the guy you know whoever's right behind me he's coming for me so that's you know all that youth and they're all that motivated i think it's kind of exciting as uh, wild as it might be. Yeah, and and the signing that Mark and I both don't like, which is the Milan Lucic signing, but he's excited to be here. I, I know, Mark, you put it on our agenda here, the the interview that he did with, uh, was it John Scott of Drop Dropping the Mitts? Dropping <laughs> the Gloves with uh, John Scott, the hockey podcast. I listen to it every week. Um, and Tim, producer Tim, is a great guy. He's been on this program before. We're going to have him back on sometime soon. We're just trying to get 
um, some times that are good for both all parties. But, um, you know, they, they interviewed Milan as soon as it happened, uh, right after free agency, just a couple of days past. Logistically, I'm, just, I'm not happy with the move. Um, because I just think that there was, there was other options available that could have been, you know, got, gotten for. But there's a story to it. There's a nostalgia, and I get that. But I think in the interviews I've seen recently, I've kind of taken a step back a little bit on on my frustration with the organization for making a move like this. And I'm and I'm not hating on the player. I'm not hating on his decline. I'm not hating on his on his uh, point production or lack thereof. It's just. You know, it just doesn't work for me. But let me tell you, when I see these videos and you start hearing about his family, you know, and this and and Boston, how much he loves it here, I think what really got me was, you know, anywhere I go around the world, everybody points at me and says that guy's a Boston Bruin. But what my daughters don't know is that they've never seen me as a Boston Bruin when everybody says that. They see me as a Calgary Flame or, or, or somebody else. It's just not Boston. That's what really got me. And he says, I, I want them to see me at least for one year what a Boston Bruin is and what it means to be a part of their family. So that's the one that really got me a little more involved with his addition. And I start thinking more about the leadership factor and so on. It's not just about the intimidation factor, because that is something he's going to provide. This is something that we just didn't have last season. We thought we were going to get it with Hathaway and the addition of Orloff, who I know is not all that physical, but we also got it with uh, Patuzzi as well. But, you know, I think this is going to be this is going to move the needle that much more in the upcoming year because nobody's really going to take liberties with that guy on the bench. Yeah, and I I'm changing slightly my opinion on it, but Jay, I want to know where you landed on it first because I haven't had a chance to hear your thoughts on it. So before I dive into how mine's evolving, I, mm. I'm curious your thoughts when that first came out. Mine has been almost somewhat steady, but. I said right I was like, I don't want us to sign him. Like, it just doesn't – we've got too many of these young guys that can do that role that are just a lot faster. Like, the speed issue for me was it wasn't going away. Um, but I understood the draw of fans. Like, you know, if I was a 16-year-old fan, I bet I'd be all over it, right? But he – once they signed him and it was – I got caught up in it too, and I'm like, all right, this is super fun. This is more of a business decision than it is a hockey decision because I you put him on the team. I don't believe it's a better roster than with him not on it. And like that's going to be a hard sell for me. But he has a role he can play. He'll be a huge energy guy at home. Oh, the crowd is dead. We're down two to one. Who do you put out on the ice? Luch, and you hope that he can hit somebody. Like he, there's a place for him. It's just. It was hard to tell, so I'm just kind of, you know what, one million for one year. It's the centennial season. He's going to look so good in all of this throwback gear. Just dial with this. <laughs> you know, it's fine, right? So, he's not literally useless. Yeah, right. He's not a road cone. Uh, <laughs> so when Mark and I were first talking about when this was coming out, I was very much against it for all those reasons that you said. He's just slower. I, you know, I don't want him to block the, the young kids from coming up and 
Mark, and I'm glad you, you put that interview on my radar because one of the biggest things that it caught from me was his self-awareness. He knows that he's not what he used to be, but he knows that he can bring something and he wants to bring it. That's the key part is he wants to play the role that this team needs. And there were a couple things that he mentioned in the interview that stood out for me. One where he said, listen, I'm not signing to play 82 games, but if they ask me to, I'll fucking do it and I'll be happy doing it. I'm glad to do it. But if they have me play seven, I'll play seven. Like whatever they need from me, I'm going to do that. I know I can bring physicality, you know, those types of things. And then he was talking about they were talking to him about his time last year in Calgary. And, And this is the part where my ears perked up where he said no one really grabbed kind of everything that was going on the bull by the horns and said let's figure this out and so when you have so much youth on this team and no i'm not saying he's going to take the c from anybody in particular or anything like that but when you have ideally bergeron back in that room but martian in that room coil in that room you know i would even say to some degree jake the brusque pavel zaka in that room mcavoy just adding milan lucic to be able to sit there and go, okay, this is where we were last year. I've been in this situation. Someone, one of us has to step up and do this. And and I can do it if need be, because I'm I'm the Swiss army knife of off the ice stuff. But just the fact that he is self-aware to know all these different things, he brings something in the room. And like you said, for a million bucks, there's something there. It is what it is. Okay, fine. Shout out to um, uh, Craig Conroy, the new GM of the Calgary Flames, for giving Milan the opportunity to have himself in the agent talk before July 1st. There was permission given, and as soon as that permission was given, Milan even said that the attraction for him as a player and what he brings is attracted was attracted to 10 to 16 teams in the league, or 15 teams. Guy. Exactly. Guy and one of them, one of those phone calls was the Vancouver Canucks, but there was nothing even there. It was just a cordial call, just, you know, but I was actually shocked about that. But it's because of the AAV went down so much. He is now a very attractive member, which when he was making $6 million for the past five years in Calgary, that was not an attractive player to trade for. I mean, Bruins fans were going balls deep, if I can say that. On, on you got to trade for this guy. you got to trade for this guy. But completely ne- neglecting the idea of that, that awful AAV that just would not work in Boston. Yeah, I think I like what Chris said about that even in the locker room, if you think about when we added Bertuzzi or Love Hathaway last year, did any of them bring something new to the room? I don't, right? Like none of, but Luch, yeah, that's a, pretty he's a bit of a unicorn right now and whatever he brings is different than as great as the leadership of everyone chris listed off all of them are this is a a voice that might have a different thing to say and you never know what it may not be on the ice that luch's uh you know full impact is felt and just the desire the the want where he like just the passion that he had in this interview for the city for the team, for the organization to sit there and go, I want, I, he gave money up to come here. And, and the fact that half of the, the league was in on him 
makes me sit there and go, okay, maybe, again, there, there's legitimately something there. I, I don't want him to block the youth. So if he ends up taking the role of the 13th forward, but what this interview told me is he's okay with that. Mm-hmm. So fine, for a million bucks, what this guy can bring you, you know, he's won a Stanley Cup, but he can also put the pressure on the young guys and say, listen, just because you get there doesn't mean you're ever going to get there again. This is a guy who hasn't been close since 2011, not even sniffed close, mm-hmm. you know, closest he got was first round. So like he can help with, you know, if someone's drive is the cup, this is what you have to do to keep yourself there. You know, yeah, guys like Bergeron, Martian, they can do it too, but he now has outside of organization perspective that they don't have. And yep. just to say, this is how we did it in LA or this is how we did it in Calgary, just a little bit, that drop of something new might spark something. Maybe it doesn't, a, but for a million bucks, it's chump change. In, in, in my opinion, he's got an ingrained philosophy. You know, I think once you've been to Boston Bruins for eight years, you kind of get that culture. Yeah, that never leaves you. That goes on to other teams where it's spread and says, that's not how we worked in Boston and so on, you know. They, they, they tell tells about this freaking this culture in Boston. So I think it's an ingrained thing that he just has and he missed. Obviously, you could definitely see in the interview that he says he is so pumped to be back in Boston. And I do want to mention one more thing. We're happy. We're all happy. We're cordially happy with Luchich coming back. But please, enough with the friggin' social. The social, the social media, I love the Bruins social media and everything, but wow, are they hyping this up just a little too much. This isn't, this isn't Bobby Orr coming back with a, with a brand new set of knees. Come on. Oh, here's Luch, and here's, he's at this restaurant. Here's Luch over here in this store. Oh, here's Luch going to the bathroom. Oh, here, it was just every five minutes, hey, something new. It was, did you, right. did you guys see the freaking gift that Petrov McGuire shared? It was it was two guards at a jail that busted into a cell to wake some poor defenseless kid that was in there for something, and oh, he was yes. just like, yeah, you know, they like smack that. him around, they're waking him up, they're trying to get him out, no. and they were like, Petrov was like, this is the Bruin social media getting Milan Lucic ready for another interview. Yeah, no, that cracked me up. Oh, no. I haven't seen it, but that sounds awesome. You gotta, you gotta look. Go on Petrov McGuire on Twitter and and go, look at his timeline. It's freaking hilarious. Oh, uh, can I ask you guys a question? I don't like comps that much, especially you know fans love making comps to 2011. But one popped into my head when you were talking about Luch and his understanding his role. And you want me to play seven games? You want me to play 82? This is what I can do if no one else can do it. Is there? I'm thinking of Sean Thornton. Is there a, a Sean Fortin role for Luch where no game is kind of guaranteed for him, but anytime he comes back after some time off, he's going to give you this power for two or three games? And then is that the kind of like, is that is that feasible? Is that actually a legit thing that could happen? I think it's more of a mesh of, and, and one of the names is going to set people off, I know, but Sean Thornton mixed with kind of like a Mark Recchi. Mm if that makes sense, the, yeah. the leadership style of what Recky brought, you know, like, you know, the, the whole, the jacket thing that year, you know, like that's mm-hmm. something that Lucic is now from outside the organization. He's able to bring that drop of something to, but he's going to play more of a Sean Thornton role. He's not the top six guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like 
I, I think it's more of a of those kind of guys in a blender. If that's yeah, Recky in the locker room, Thornton on the ice kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, honestly, if that's what we get, I don't think anybody's going to be complaining about it. But I'd say for a million bucks, I, I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. And but I, I, also, I, I go ahead, Mark. I like I, I like the spot starts that he's probably going to get. You know, it's it, it maybe not get eighty two, but put him in seventy of the most important games. Like, you definitely put him in against the freaking Florida Panthers. You definitely put him in against Montreal, Toronto, and so on. Especially Toronto. The, 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 Adam, the Adams division. <laughs> Jesus, yes. I'm so old. Yes. Love it. Um, the Atlantic division is going to be structurally um, pretty, pretty good this year. Uh, not only in talent, but toughness. I think every team in the Atlantic has bulked up a little bit. Um you know, with Luchich coming back to Boston and uh, Reeves going to Toronto and, you know, um, somebody up in in Ottawa. And it's just going to be a crazy town uh, with physicality. So you could definitely see that everybody in the division has definitely stepped up their game in that particular area. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, the, the Atlantic is going to be it, – it's going to be tough. It's going to be brutal. And I think a guy like Luchich can help them through the division because, you know, everybody's got somebody. You know, Florida's got Kachuk. Uh, Ottawa's kind of the one that I sit there and I go, I'm not quite sure who their big guy is, but I'm sure they have at least one. Uh, actually, no, they have Kachuk as well. They have the yeah, other Kachuk. They have the other Kachuk. Yeah. They do, yes. <laughs> That's yes. what I was thinking. Um, Tampa Bay is is always going to be Tampa Bay. They're going to they're, – they're big-bodied Kucherov guys, you know, that type of thing. Toronto just added Reeves. He, they're probably penciling him in for a suspension every other week at this point. So, you know, they're not going to worry about what he brings on the ice. He doesn't have to bring anything on the ice other than hit people. They have goal scorers. They're going to be fine on offense even without him. And then, you know, even Detroit, like a guy like Perron and Cop, they throw their body around. Buffalo, I mean, Tage Thompson's 6'5". got to be able to bang him off the ice, off the puck, get him off the puck, like, He's he's a big boy, <laughs> you know, and and to, um, Montreal, Jack Eye on defense. All of their defensemen are like six something, so you got to have to be able to toss them around, like, and then the the Metro, even the Metro, you know, Carolina, they're gonna bang you around, and especially with a guy like Orlov now on the back end, the Devils, they they showed to be pretty chippy last year. Same thing with the Rangers, like. They're just – they're all – and God forbid, Philly. They're bulking up. Yeah. In addition so, to Hathaway as well. My my question to you, Mark, having heard – knowing that you heard the pod, I don't know if, uh, Jay, if you heard the interview at all, but based on his excitement, I also sit here and I say this is one of those things where I could see Milan, when his playing days are over, come back and join the organization in a player development role. Yeah, much like uh, uh, on what uh, uh, Adam McQuaid's doing right now. Adam McQuaid was an absolute freaking beast on the ice. It wasn't my favorite defenseman, but it's that physicality that you just cannot get away from. It's part of the game, and it's something that's been starting to get ingrained in my head from a lot of people that I talk to that I used to buck the trend. I used to be the guy that says uh, the, the team with the most goals wins the games. But there's also intangibles that before that final buzzer goes off that happen that I keep forgetting about. And I'm getting more and more involved in knowing that you need to play a physical game because when that 
when that transition into the postseason happens, the sea the, the season changes. It's it's almost like the Hulk. We go from one skinny white dude to a big old green guy uh, all of a sudden, and and that's playoff hockey. And you gotta you have to be able to, to sustain that particular part of the game if you're going to survive. Yeah, it feels to me like there's a bit of a a shift back. Like it seemed, it felt like there was this whole oh, hockey's going to speed now, speed and skill, speed and skill. But then, if, like you look at all the signings now. It, Everyone is bulking up. It's kind of like, you know, the, everything is cyclical in these games, and I think we're headed back towards uh, a little more of a heavy-hitting game because these guys are getting tired of being skated around, and what happens is the guys who you could skate around, well, they start fading off, and the new defensemen that are coming up are faster. They're bigger. So now, yeah, that's great that you can deke, but guess what, kid? I can catch you now. Like, I'm not one of the old guys who couldn't keep up with you. And right. Emotion creates emotion. Yeah, I. It, it's definitely going to be very interesting, too. And if you've noticed, one thing that Boston has done this year is they've signed no one shorter than six feet. Yeah, I saw that. No one. And, they, draft, and they drafted nobody under six feet. <laughs> yeah, I think they didn't draft anybody under six foot three or something like that. Right, right. It's like, I mean, and, and it's not to say that you can't be short and, and compete and stuff, but you, you really have to be selective of who you give that money to. Like, Jonathan so he just went out and he won the con Smythe. That's a guy that you pay money to, even though he's not six feet tall. But he also plays bigger than his, what I think he's like 5'10 listed or something like that. He plays bigger than that, you know? you got to have a balance. You definitely have to have a balance when you're playing with uh, shorter guys. Like, you can't have a whole defense crew of Matt Grizzlicks out there because you get ruined every night. Right. Your defensive core cannot be based off of Matt Grizzlick, Jack Sean, and Tory Crew. We have learned True that. True that. Yep. Unfortunately, but at the same time, the yeah, you got to be like for the former Grizz thing was it was almost this little microcosm of of that issue, right? Like there were very few of us who didn't think Grizz should be the one in there. It's got nothing to do with size. He can do this thing we need, which is just getting the fucking puck out of our end. Forbert couldn't do that, so you there's the trade offs, and that's the one thing you worry about. But you hope Monty may have learned to listen there, but. Forbert's still on the roster, and a lot of us didn't think he'd be at this point. So, I should think talk about that. The roster. I, I do. Mark, what are, what are your thoughts on that? It's interesting because, you know, there's a conversation on Twitter today between Dom Tiano and so on, and a few other people, including myself. Um, and unfortunately, it just it does seem like the Boston Bruins just can't can't get rid of the guy, or they don't want to get rid of the guy. They believe in the depth and keeping him around because the window for them to buy him out has now come and gone. I mean, the guy makes $3 million a year. The next window of a buyout eligibility is for players that make $4 million and more. So that just tells me that they're trying to get him involved. I'm not sure if this guy's got any trade value. He might for a seventh-round pick if you want to get another one next year. Um, I just don't. I don't know. I just with everything that came in the Shattenkirks and and all this, and what could be coming up from Providence in in, in the system, uh, this training camp, I honestly don't see a fit for him here. But I also just don't see other teams like banging down the door saying, "Can we get this guy that's making three million AAV?" And also, I do want to touch on real quick, if you don't mind, that Dom Tiano also said that if. Forbert doesn't make camp and he passes through waivers and they do bury him in Providence, 
that half of his salary will be cut off. So they get a savings of $1.6 million. Is there any penalty the next year for anything like that? Um, I don't believe that there's a penalty for that. But what happens is your NHL player that you buried down in Providence is making NHL money. Right. So he's still making the cap, but it doesn't go against your cap, which I see the way I'm looking at forward. I think this is how they look at him. He's insurance because right now, you know, you pretty much know you're you're starting three on the right side. McAvoy, Carlo Shattenkirk, barring an barring any injury. No one's really getting thrown out of that side. The left side, though, you, you're probably going to keep your Lindholm Carlo pair the same. Beyond that, you have two openings. And right now, I think you're looking at Grizzly McAvoy again for the majority of the season. I think that's something that after what Monty went through last year in the playoffs, he's going to look at a lot heavier to say, is this a pairing I can keep together in the playoffs? Can, can Grizzly do it? Can I rely on him? And, and I think that's going to be a huge thing for Grizzly this year. But beyond that, now you're looking at Lorai, Zboro, Forbort, and a few other RFAs. So I, I think they're looking at, at Forbort as if Zboro can't and we don't want Lorai to, we have Forbort there. And he's even as a seventh defenseman, Maybe he's not in the top six every night, but we can rotate him in, which they proved last year they have no issues rotating defensemen on a nightly basis, especially on the bottom pair. You know, a guy like Ian Mitchell or, you know, uh, some of the other RFAs that they brought in this year who I think they're still waiting on signing some of them, so I'm not quite sure what's going on with them. But, you know, you throw that into a blender, just like you're doing with your bottom six, see what sticks, but – Forbort, you know what he is. You don't have to test him. You don't have to, you know, try him here, try him there. It's just a matter of, okay, he's going to be our seventh defenseman, barring Zborl not taking the reins and running with it. I mean, for all we know, we could look at Shattenkirk and Grizzly as a bottom pair because Zborl takes off on top four minutes again. He was looking great when he was before he got hurt, and he's oh, been yeah. looking good since um, at, the, at the World Championships as Dom has pointed out a couple times. So, I mean, I, I really want to see what Zboro has, but I, I just I think they're looking at Forbort going, if we get rid of him now, if we bought him out, where's our insurance? Yeah, that was kind of exactly what I was thinking. Like, especially now knowing that if they don't have him on the team to start the season, that they can put him in Providence. I know, you know, I'm sure he'll be as happy as Riley was, but it's... <laughs> Like, I I was always thinking, oh, you've got to cut him, you got to cut him, and then or he's got to trade him, got to. But it's like, well, if all you can get is future considerations, let's hold on to him because if Lori steps up, you know, and is ready for the NHL, okay, Saboro. Like, there's guys that if they show they're ready and you feel like there's very little doubt around it, it's like this is an NHL hockey player. You can just that's where okay, you know what, future considerations, forward, you're gone to. Well, let's Arizona. Let's just say that because it's them nine times out of ten, and you know you've uh, you had your insurance, but now you feel good, so you're able to move on. I think Mark's point too that you brought up from Dom adds to that insurance thing too, because let's say you come out of camp and you've got Grizzly, Lindholm, Zboril, Lorai on your left side. You now put uh, you you put Forbort on waivers. One of two things happens: another team claims him 
in which case they take him and his $3 million off your books, and they're stuck with him. They can't put him through waivers without him going back to you. 30, Second of is all... It, is it 30 days and 10 games? Uh, thirty. If, if he clears, he would be able to go down to Providence. Like you said, bury some of his cap hit, bury some of yeah, his Yeah, but if, if he's claimed... If he's claimed from another team, that team has to keep him for 30 days or an equivalent of 10 NHL games. Something like before, that. Before they can put him down to their minor pro um, affiliate. But I think you get first claim of him back. If they waive him, you get first claim because they claimed him from you. Right. I, I, I'm i not totally sure about Something that. Something like that. We'll, we'll clarify with Dom exactly what that. But my point being is, is your worst case scenario is someone takes him off your hands for free. They claim him. Okay. I mean, we were we were hoping for future consideration, <laughs> but that's kind of the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be yeah, honest. Kind of you know? <laughs> Kick the can I'll down the freaking road. At that point. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's fine. Or you bury him down in Providence. You have him there. He is last year's Mike Riley right now. I feel like he would have a little bit better of an attitude about it, but at the same time, it's a little easier to have that that attitude if you're getting all three million of your dollars. I'll play in Providence for three million dollars. Exactly. Like let's go. <laughs> let's go, right? I think all of us would. So I, I just I think he's an insurance policy for him and, and at the end of the day they have other ways. But I'm also not sure how the modified no trade clause kicks in on waivers. I'm pretty sure the waivers process, though, is only part of no movement clauses, not no trade clauses. Right. So That's absolutely correct. Did you have a, a particular direction you wanted to go from here, Mark? No, no. You, you have the agenda, my friend. So uh, <laughs> um, do with I, it accordingly. All righty. Well, the reason why I ask is because part of this is the fact that Jeremy Swain and Trent Frederick still remain unsigned. And obviously this year we saw the news of Tanner Janot getting his two-year deal, uh, $2.6 million AAV with uh, Tampa Bay after they gave up five draft picks to get this guy. A lot of people are using him as a comp for Frederick. I, I still think Frederick's better than him or has more potential, but I, I, and I think his dollar amount is going to be a little bit higher. What do you guys think? I don't, I don't, know if that's all amounts going to be that much higher and and is that a tactic on uh trent frederick's part and his agent possibly dom tiano mentioned that as well on twitter a little while ago uh, or yesterday um but i I like the i like the term and, and the money for trent and i think that still leaves the boston bruins enough room um at 2.6 2.6 to 3 million dollars to get Jeremy Swayman done for at least a year or two kind of bridge deal uh coming out of his entry level deal. So there's there's money to be had but it's just that who's going to get it when it comes down to the final bell because believe it or not if you look at statistics and so on when an, when a case goes to arbitration the arbiter generally goes for the player. So they the Boston Bruins uh, they need to be prepared uh, for that, and, and and obviously people know that we we've heard so many podcasts, so many articles that these arbitration hearings can get nasty. They're pretty much yeah. talking bad shit about you on a regular to try to drive your value down while you're on the other side of that table negotiating a higher value for the stuff that you did positive uh, during your tenure here in the organization and what you could provide further, but. I don't know. I mean, if it comes down to the number, 
that they want. Like if if Swayman and Frederick both go to the full length and they get what they want, I think the Bruins are going to have to make another move just to facilitate those deals in coming in and freeing up a little more money to even bring back a player like Patrice Bergeron, who I'd like to talk to uh, talk about sooner or later. Oh, we'll get to him. Okay. I and I agree with that fully. Like it's if if Swayman and Freddie get do we do we know what they're asking for? Like that's not something that's out there. Like we're they're looking for this and the Bruins are looking for this kind of thing. We're just working under comps. So Jay, right now there's a there's a really good website that I I, I like for comparables, um, and it's a little more favorable than some other ones that I've had. But it's AFP Analytics, and they do a great job. And I can send you the link um, sometime today if you want to check it out. But it gives you a really good idea of what they're looking for. And and they have Jeremy Swayman in the three point five to four million range, and I I thought that that could be a realistic thing, but it took me back a little bit thinking that the culture here and how many years Don Sweeney has talked to players and say, hey, we're up against it, we want to make it work, we want to bring you and Leonis back for another year of of, of you know Jennings winning success. Yeah. But you got to work with the constraints that I have right now when we're trying to work in bringing the captain of the team back, the next Hall of Famer, you know. All those are going to play certain certain uh, tactics in these negotiations. So it's going to be interesting on how it all works out. Now, is any are any of these guys going to sign before, like Ian Mitchell did pretty much the, you know, the day after he accepted his qualifying offer? I'm not sure. Hopefully it does happen, because if it does happen early, that means that they want to work together and get something done to be cap compliant and ready to go by the upcoming season. Yeah. Okay. So those, like the numbers kind of make, because if, if Jeremy gets somewhere around four, like he is probably looking for, he's, I'm assuming Swayman's looking at four plus. And then if Freddie comes in, he's probably trying to get somewhere around three right now. I believe Freddy's is going to come down. Like it's, I feel like that'll be the one where the savings is. It'll be just going off the players' personalities, the way they talk. Even ending the season, Swayman was immediately, oh, my agent's going to deal with that. Like he really didn't give any sort of, oh, yeah, we're going to fight. Like yeah. I felt like he really, like the money clearly is a thing or it's as much the playing time. Like he just doesn't want to play 40 games next year. Right. Like there might be a real a real thing there. So my hope is that we can save on Freddie to afford Swayman for, again, and, and, I'd love to just see given two years, like the DeBrusque thing and, uh, you know, see where you can go from there. But, and, and not to regurgitate what so many other podcasts out there are talking right now when it comes to Trent Frederick, but like Cam and Strick podcast, which is a really good program. They do upwards of three, two or three hour programs every week, which is fantastic. But they're they're heavily heavily beating the drum of St. Louis making a trade for uh, Trent Frederick if things uh, get a little nasty in the uh, in the um, contract negotiations leading up to arbitration uh, on the thirtieth. Is it the third? I have a Wayman's the thirty first, I think. Yeah, I have an image right here that I'll, that I'll share with you guys from Ty Anderson a while back. Yeah, oh yeah, right here. Yeah, yeah. So it was yeah. Um, Ian Mitchell, we can obviously cross off. The other thing, too, though, that I look at with this is July 30th and August 1st, you're two weeks away. These guys are on vacation right now. Like, let's be real. They t- they finished the season. They had a bunch of, a, you know, locker room cleanouts, this, that, the other thing. 
get home, see the family. Let's go on vacation now. And so I'm not worried that it's not done yet. I would be worried come July 28th if it's not done, because that means it's probably going to arbitration. But they have up until that day to do it anyway. Yeah. And quite frankly, I think this Tanner Janot deal does help the, the team side of things just because, I mean, at this point you go, listen, Janot got 2.6 for two. Let's meet somewhere in the middle. Let's say 2.95. We can structure it so that you get some signing bonuses. So you get cash up front. We can structure it in a way that's favorable to you. But if we can get the cap hit to 2.95 AAV, that works for us. The cash can work for you. And we can do this again in two years. You know, we, we can come back. We can address it when we have more cap space. I, I think the Swayman one is a lot more tough because he's playing like secondary starter money or he like a secondary starter. He is. You only have your other guy, uh, Omar, for two more seasons. Yes, he just won the Vesna, so that helped in your negotiation. But he also can sit there and go, well, we won the Jennings because I played so well. You know, if I didn't play well, well, then you'd have to rely on Linus that much more and and all those things. So, you know, I know on paper his comp is Jake Ottinger mostly – but it's also a very, very different landscape from when Jake Ottinger went up against his RFA status. So for them to go four by four, it'd be nice. And yeah, sure, if we can lock them in for four years at four million, I'm happy to do it. But clearly that that's not where either side is at right now. I, I think you're gonna have to give them a little bit more, maybe on a one year deal and structure it. Well, if it's two years, then again, same thing. Structure it in a different way. I don't care how they structure it. I'm worried about the AAV. I want to be clear about that. I don't care how they fucking structure the contract. The player can get all the money up front for all I care. I worry about how it's going to affect their cap situation. I'm, if, if I'm worried about anything on cap, it's, it's paying two goaltenders $9 million with a, with a minimal cap increase. Now... Next season after this upcoming, when it's potentially, I'm got the air quotes out there. Oh yeah, potentially four point five million jump. We have that flexibility a little bit to to afford a tandem like that. But right now in the NHL, it's it's really unheard of to have two goaltenders that are locked in at close to ten or nine million. That doesn't mean it's a bad. Thing though, like, and I mean, I'm the goalie defender. I'm always gonna, you know, always assume the goalies oh, are. are right. But <laughs> it's like I look at, I'm like, how is this nine million dollars? Let's let's just put it at that because that's probably around what it's gonna be for a number one goalie for all 82 games, right? You don't have to think of it as oh, Allmark's gonna play 82, and this isn't uh, Brask played 70. Did he play 75, 72 one year? Like, oh yeah, that's in. That's nuts. He's a workhorse. And then he's supposed to, and then he went in, anyway, I love me some Rask, but actually, oddly enough, my 2019 towel fell as I was saying that. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I saw that. That's so yeah. weird. I'm going to stop talking about Rask. <laughs> the, but the ghost of Tuka Rask. That's how I look at it. I'm like, $9 million, and I'm guaranteed a number one starting caliber NHL goalie in that every single night. Yeah. I, like, for me... I'm like I don't I don't see a problem here. I know it, I, the cap constraint is the one. Okay, if if we gotta because you you gotta fill out a roster, I get it. Just like the whole thing, right? But 
to me, I'm looking at it. I'm going, I love this. Every night I got a number one guy in the net to watch and any game is up for grabs with them, right? There's no, oh, we got the backup tonight, right? That's not happening in Boston. Yeah, what I'm looking for, I'm trying to find right now, I think the biggest comp for uh, for Jeremy Swayman is going to end up being Philip Gustafson up in Minnesota. They played roughly the same amount of games. Their numbers were, I don't want to say fairly similar. Swayman got 24 wins to his 22, uh, six losses to his nine, 2.27 goals against a 2.1, and a 9.20 save percentage to his 9.31. So very, very comparable. Um Gustafson's 25, Swayman's 24. They're both RFAs, and they both are at roughly the same performance level. Whose arbitration comes first? That's what I'm trying to find out. Because mm. if Gustafson's arbitration comes before Swayman's, we can just look at that and go, that's going to be a Right. Question is, is when? <laughs> Who is Minnesota's Ty Anderson? I don't know. We'll find, find them on Twitter. We will find them on Twitter. I, I will find answers to this, I promise. Uh, just not right now on the show. Um, but that that's what I'm circling. I want to I see where that comes in. Yeah. And is it a little different? Because we have a starter. We have Linus Allmark. Minnesota doesn't right now. They're leaning on Marc-Andre Fleury as the number one without him. Like That's a much different situation. Is that something the arbitrators consider, though? I don't like, know. Would- would that have any like it, that doesn't seem like an argument that the the team can make is it look we can't pay out like we have nobody else and then the player would be like yeah you have nobody else so i'm gonna take my money now like the arbitrator that doesn't seem to me like something that would play into it like the other decisions by the team have no effect on how much i think this guy should be making i think it has more effect on the pre-arbitration negotiations mm. Because as an agent, I, I would yeah. be able to look at you and be like, yeah, and if we go to arbitration, we're going to get our number or closer to our number, which is further from where you want to be. But we also have the hammer of you have nobody else. Yeah, You're, you, yep. you put yourself in this position. Now you have to follow through on it. Otherwise, as an agent, I can sit there and go, you know, this team puts themselves in a corner and then they don't follow through on what they say they're going to do pretty bad sales pitch for an agent to, to try and sign clients to, to your team. So, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm just looking over the agenda here because I know we had um, all Mark mentioned on here as well. Um, just, I mean, real quick as I, as, cause we're going to hear from our friends over at FanDuel in a moment. Um, do you guys see them being able to perform on par, assuming they're both here similar to last year, obviously, not quite the historic run that Allmark was on, but do you guys see that as, as a very feasible thing they could do uh, again? Uh, why not? You know, I mean, uh, Vezina, Vezina, whatever you want to call it, uh, trophy winning Allmark and, and the tandem got together and won at Jennings last year. I think that, and they're, and they're, they're best friends, you know what I mean? Um, we've seen how much they care for each other, how much they speak well about each other, pumping the tires, as Pat, uh, as uh, Roberto Luongo would say. But I think that they could possibly do the same thing. But moving forward, I don't know. I just, I want the right people to make the right decisions moving forward into this next season. Like, you know, if, if, if Omak is injured, 
let's not let's not push the button. We have another number one right behind you. It's not like we're bringing up uh, some goalie from a throwaway league in Rochester. This is another one A one A situation. Have faith in that, and you know. And I know how players are. They you know they wear their sleeves on the heart. They're very passionate. They want to be a part of every moment that this team does. But sometimes when you have a minor injury, especially as a goaltender, where you're limited sometimes moving laterally and so on and what you do in the crease on a day-to-day basis and something is hindering you and you're not getting it done, you need to you know, stomp that red button, all halt, and make your decision on something that is reliable. And Jeremy Swayman should have been more of an option uh, towards the end of the year and in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I fully agree. Like, I don't see any reason they can't be just as good. Our, is the right next last season isn't happening again, right? They're not going to have 65 wins, but their numbers, as great as they were, are still within range. Like, and people think, oh, they, you know, passed ahead 60 goals and the Bruins were the greatest team ever. The goalies didn't do much. The goalies, the number of games where Allmark kept us in a game for the first 20, 30 minutes. And then we would kind of step on the gas and win three to one, win four to two. It fans, people forget that there were a number of games where that was going on. I think especially early in the year, he's he wasn't a product of that team. I think Olmark and Swayman are this good, so of course they can do do it again. Like I think the two of them, two years from now, those two guys are both going to be making a lot of money. Because I think there's no reason. I don't have any reason to think they're going downhill. Oh, and just to finish on that, Mark. Sorry. And in the playoffs, Monty, if you if you're doing a rotation all year, do it in the fucking playoffs. Just do it, right? I think yeah. that really became the mistake to me. Like game four was sitting there to put Swayman in, and game five was sitting there and kind of go to the rotation a little bit, just like the regular season. So to me, if you're if it's 41 games, 41 games, the playoffs has to be the same way. Yeah, be a trendsetter. Don't, you yes. know, let, let's let's yes. try something different. Yeah. I, I think they could actually see somewhat similar success, but probably on the opposite hand. Because okay. let's not forget how slow Swayman started last year. He came out and he was not playing well. He was giving up a goal on the first shot of the game a number of times, sure. falling from behind. And yet he still managed to work his way into top four numbers across the league. Yeah, so, because because he was um, he was an emotional wreck. The guy broke up with his longtime girlfriend uh, before the season started or during the off season, and it was taking a little bit of a toll on him. But he's the type of player that has so many great folks around him, a really good supporting cast, to get him back on track. Not only his teammates for encouragement and so on, but, I mean, the guy hires a, a, a sports psycholo- a psychologist, whatever, to, you know, he's as part of his team. So he's probably really aggressively talking to him or her. And, and by, like, de- December, he was already back into, like, I'm ready to freaking rock and roll. And oh, he yeah. did that. He went from December right to the end of the season and played very well. Probably That's one of the point. better goaltenders in that stretch. That's my whole point. Imagine if he didn't have those two months where he started off slow. Like, he would have had numbers, you know, much closer to Linus's at the end of the season. And so... You know, now, I, like I said, I, I could see them kind of flipping where, where they're both hovering that 1.98 goals against that 2.01 mm-hmm. 
type of range for the duration of the season, you still have most of your defense back from last year, which was very, very successful, I might add. So, yeah, you made some changes up front, but they've proved they can make the stops. They can make the ones that keep you in games. It's just a matter of how many extra chances are you going to give up because of what's going on in the offensive zone? Can they keep you in it? But they've proven they can. So I, I, there's no doubt in my mind they, they can replicate roughly the same save percentage goals against success. Obviously, the, the wins and the losses are going to vary. To your point, Jay, they're just not going to be a 65-win team again. But the goaltending is, is fine, and you know I'm okay with spending on it, especially if I have a mess up front. But uh, I, I think it's time for us to hear from our friends over at FanDuel real quick. Hey, I do want to mention uh, after this uh, this ad read from the um, the amazing FanDuel company um, that we do know we are no longer uh, doing advertising work with Action Electronics. Uh, so I do want to shout out uh, Nick Tedesco and Barry over at um, Action Electronics for their um, several months of partnerships and and us moving their brand and their service of. Um, Supply chain logistics, if you have any problems with supply chain, those are the guys to go to. So, uh, unfortunately, we're not working with them anymore, but we want to thank them for their sponsorship for the last couple of months. And, um, and obviously, they said that when they have a budget, they'll, they'll, they'll circle around again and, and possibly work with us uh, in the future. So, we, I just wanted to give them a quick shout out, and I truly appreciate their, their effort, communication, and, and willing to work with us on a regular basis. Great, great partner. So uh, unfortunately, sad to lose them, but that does also means we have openings for more. So yep. if you if you and your company or know of a company, just send them our way. We're happy to reach out and, and see what we can do to help them as uh, as a mutual beneficial relationship. So sad to see them go, but hopefully we see them again in the future. Um, but obviously, same feelings for former head coach Bruce Cassidy brings the the cup back to the Massachusetts uh, to Cape Cod specifically. Mark, I know this was one of the first things that you put on the agenda. Um, Thoughts, what did you want to touch on on this specifically? Um, I've done a little bit of research on the foundation, so uh, I want to toss it over to you for that first. No, it was, I mean, the the guy earned it, you know, went went out to a new team, uh, you know, a a team that was, that was driven to, for success, you know, and, and, and obviously he was on a mission to get a cup under his belt and, sat, and you know, be uh, a member of the club, as he said. But uh, good on him to bring it back to uh, Massachusetts, particularly Cape Cod. Went out on the beach with his family. Um, and I have a picture right here of uh, the event. Uh, it is uh, obviously Bruce Cassidy holding the cup. I'm not sure who the gentleman to, the, to his um, uh, right is, but the, uh, the guy in the middle is Bobby Orr. And obviously towards the cup end, that is Ray Bork. I believe all four gentlemen are Stanley Cup champions, but I'm not sure about the guy in the blue. Um, so congratulations to him. And, and obviously this was a, um, an uh, event to kick off uh, a foundation, which I, I what, what's the foundation name again, Chris? Cassidy Murray Foundation. Cassidy Murray Foundation. And this was a, a teenager who passed away at 13. And um, obviously Bruce is heavily involved in it and friends with the family. So um, this was a kind of a really cool thing to kick off. 
uh, awareness um, on on um, on that. So, congratulations to Bruce and and all the people that went down to go check it out. Uh, I know the bunch of Bruins fans are down there uh, to uh, have the picture with the cup and Cassidy, and also you know well wishes and so on. But um, you know, to the naysayers, it's not a kick in the dick. It's not a you know, it's nothing bad. It's just a guy that's doing a good thing um, for the community, and you know, I. This is not the, this is not the days of Ray Bork bringing the uh, the Stanley Cup down to uh, you know down to Central Boston, where that really was the kick in the dick back in the day. <laughs> I don't so, remember. See, I'm in Halifax, so I don't remember that. That's funny. Well, it, I mean, obviously, no social media back then. Nowadays, it's easy to see everything that's going on, but I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. Ah, okay, so that was yeah. A, when you was when it he a wanted, thing? Like, was it controversial? It was a little bit. It was a little bit uh, that, that Ray was a little bit classless on bringing the cup back as a as a Colorado Avalanche freaking Stanley Cup hmm. winner. Okay. There was some. There were angry folks even back then. Can you believe oh, it? Man, absolutely. <laughs> and by the way, great pod, great pod on the baked bear. Oh man, speaking of toxic. <laughs> Right. I'm gonna have to go and listen to that one. Mark was telling you do, me about you do. Show. It's 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 a, it's a real good one. These his uh, Jay's podcast is getting better and better every week. I love it. So, I, I don't remember Ray bringing it back in that kind of way, and, and I don't think that was his intent. I'm sure, just like with all of our fans, there's gonna be a portion of the fan base that everything is an f you, no matter what. They resign Bergeron. Fuck off. Like, yeah, come on. Yeah. It, like, it, there's yeah. no win. They don't want to find the win. They don't want to find the fun. Uh, no. uh, the, the worst, I, the I'm worst ones for me, the worst ones for me is when the Boston Bruins do like a cancer benefit, which mm-hmm. is awesome. They do such a great job in the community when it comes to children or even adults that have cancer and are struggling every day. And then you see in the comments, who cares? Sign Pasternak. Exactly. It's like, you insensitive son of a bitches. You can't, you can't even have the Bruins have one great moment when you're trying to help a cause and raise money, but you, all you're interested in is signing David Pasternak. I want someone to reply back, my aunt has cancer, I care. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. You right. know, like, family me- insert family member, whomever. It's like, I, I want someone to do that just to make that person feel like total dog shit. Because I hope it does. Yeah. I hope it does. But no, the, the Cassidy Murray Foundation, though, um, like you said, she passed away at 13. They, they just want to help bring, you know, awareness and, and access to the things that families need who are in those kind of grieving times. So it's definitely a great organization. And it was a great way for him to, to help kick it off. I mean, it's the fucking Stanley Cup. You know, so for for a situation that can affect a lot more families, I I hope that's a foundation that starts to do really, really well, because it just, you know, uh, unscheduled losses happen and it sucks. And, you know, that that's a foundation that really seems like they could help a lot of people. And I'm glad that, you know, to your point, it it wasn't an FU. I mean, come on, look at what he did with it. You know, Jack Eichel brought it up to to North Chelmsford and no one cried, cried about it. But good for him he brought it back to where he was and you know this just goes to show bruce didn't want to leave but he has in several interviews sat there and said you know what it was time doesn't mean i've left the city and that's the awesome part i i i don't know i just i feel like something like this also makes you sit there and wonder is there a 
some semblance of a reunion between the two down the road after many times. You know, I mean, Cassidy's not as old as Lou Lamorello. Let's face it. He's not on his last team. (laughs) You know, there's plenty of time to bring the guy back for, you know, a a swan song type season kind of thing. So, um, but no, just a good story as well. Uh, But speaking of the coaching staff, Mark, I know you had some thoughts on this. We still have a a coaching spot uh, that's vacant right now. John Gruden went up, signed with the Toronto Marlies as their head coach. Jay, I'm curious, what were your thoughts when you saw that happen a couple weeks ago? And uh, I know Mark wants to talk about who might be replacing him. What are you going to do? If your team is good, you're going to lose staff. This is it's pro sports everywhere. You watch the the team that wins the Super Bowl every year. The next year, their entire coaching staff is new because everyone has just swooped in to take all their coaches. Like the same thing is going to happen in hockey. There wasn't anywhere for where Gruden couldn't move up with us. So for him, he obviously, I'm, I would assume his goal is to be an NHL coach. So he's got an opportunity to coach and that's a high pressure area too. anything to do with, you know, Toronto. So it's a great opportunity for him. I, is it a loss for us? Probably. I mean, probably, but it's not one. I don't know what you can't complain about it. It's good for him. And uh, we hope that the next hire, you know, is uh, can do just as good of a job as he did. You got to trust the staff, I guess. I'm I've had a couple thoughts since it's been vacant for a little while. It It's a tough loss for sure. Um, I was wondering, Mark and I, we were talking about this before the show. The first name that I thought of, I was like, gee, I wonder if they're waiting so long because they're waiting to figure out what the contract details are for a guy like Jay Leach who left the organization and is now with Seattle. But I like Mark's idea a little bit better. Mark, I, I'm, I'm going to have you, if how much, I don't know how much of this you can go over right now, but oh. I know you had some thoughts on it. I'll definitely tell you what I know, but I, I do want to talk about how important this process is for a guy like Jim Montgomery. Um, obviously, the organization as well and the players. Uh, you know, you have to have like a, a good character to be part of this team and so on. You have to relate well, and, and they're going to do their they're going to vet and they're going to do their due diligence on getting somebody that's going to be, you know, an accepted uh, person here, um, whether that be a member. Uh, of, of uh, Jim Montgomery's previous teams in college or Dallas or St. Louis, who knows those could always play big roles because there's, there's continuity there. There was, there's a relationship, you know? Um, so anything could really happen. If they're thinking internally, here's where I get a little, my brain starts to go in a little bit of a mental pretzel because over a month ago, I kind of broke the news or just shared that I heard that Ryan Mujanel, the current head coach of the Providence Bruins, his assistant Trent Whitfield, and uh, Matt Thomas, uh, his assistant, all got three-year contract extensions. That news has yet to be released as of right now. Here's my theory or my thought or whatever. I kind of think that they knew that that Gruden might be on his way out that they are not breaking the news on this signing because Ryan Mujanel might be an internal option to come up. Uh, you know, a little bit of a relationship with uh, Jim Montgomery. They obviously talk back and forth from Providence to Boston about players and, and who's coming up and what to look for and what to expect and so on. But 
that might be just something that's holding that news back. Um, so obviously, if they sign somebody for John Gru- uh, for um, uh, Jim Montgomery as an assistant, you know uh, Ryan Mushinal will stay in Providence and so on. But you know if they don't and he's an option, then they have to go out and you know find a, an American Hockey League coach. And is Matt Thomas the next guy, or is Trent Whitfield who's got tenure? Uh, in the organization, is that the next guy, or do you bring somebody else in because now you think that Jim Montgomery might be on the hot seat in a, in a year or two? You know, so I mean, anything could really happen. It's just all on the decision making at the at the top level about who's going to come in and like almost seamlessly fit like John Green, Gruden did last year. And I, I got to say that I don't think it was uh, on John Gruden to be any blame for what happened in the playoffs. I think that he and Jim Montgomery did a fantastic job by getting more out of the defense, generating more um, goals and shot opportunities from the back end, which is really important in the success this year. Did it translate to the postseason? Obviously not. But I don't honestly think that that's why Gruden left. I think Gruden, like Jay said, saw the landscape in Jim Montgomery and says, that guy's going to be here for a while. You know, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to crack the NHL yet. Maybe I go to Toronto where my family probably still lives because he he's, uh, was coaching in the Hamilton area a while ago in the Canadian Hockey League, Ontario Hockey League. Um, but the path to the NHL might be a little better for him because of um, if uh, a coach like, who's the Toronto Maple Leafs coach? Sheldon Keefe. Sheldon oh, Keefe. If he's on the hot seat, then the the natural progression is to see if Gruden's the next guy. So, you know, th- there's there's ample opportunities for players to go, uh, and, and coaches to go where they want to and have success because the the landscape just seems that much better. It's almost like players as your entry level contract, and you see the landscape like like um, Matt Benning. I'm just going to take Matt Benning for an example. Northeastern Huskies University. Drafted by the Bruins, obviously saw McAvoy and all the freaking talent ahead of him and just said, I don't see a fit for me here. So he went elsewhere to find that NHL time and, and that NHL consistency. It happens. It's a business. Yeah, people got to do what's better for themselves as much as what's better for your team. We root for the team. They root for themselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I wonder about, like, with you got Keith somehow still coaching in Toronto, but – I wonder what's do not do. Who's the GM there now? Retro living now. Yeah, really. Yeah, Trey. He's what does he do? He says, "Oh, look how talented this, how talented you know this roster is." I'll give Keith one more year so I can see what he does, and I'm just gonna cherry pick a guy from the Bruins organization because <laughs> that's what this team needs is a, some Bruins culture. So he brings over Gruden, and then he might be just thinking, okay, and. You know, next year I'll have uh, you know all of those contracts. I don't know what they're going to look like, but he gets rid of Keith and he brings up a Bruin, right? And that's yeah. all I'm going to say to any Leaf fan who talks about any success <laughs> that happens under him. He <laughs> said no success till you bought in on Bruins culture. Jay, 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 real quick, uh, what's the what's the ratio up in Nova Scotia? Is it is it high Bruins or is it Maple Leafs fans? It's a lot. When I was a kid, it was. It felt like mostly Bruins and Habs fans, actually. Um, but there are. There's obviously a large. It, doing numbers. I mean, Toronto and Montreal are still huge. You got to remember Crosby, 
Pittsburgh is a massive team in especially like Dartmouth, Cole Harbor, where I grew up. And you've got Marchand, Glenn, uh, Glenn Murray. Like there's a lot of good uh, Nova Scotian guys that have kept the kind of the Bruins love. But you have a lot of like it's weird. There's a lot of Vegas fans out here now. But Pittsburgh, Colorado, Nathan McKinnon again, right? Like yep. these guys have created big fan bases here. So the Bruins That's awesome. Were- we're still a part of it, but it feels like chunked almost into fifths now where it used to be kind of like, oh, there's two dominant. And now we've got these other ones because guys start winning cups. And, you know, if they're from your city <laughs> and you grew up on their street, you end up cheering for them. So wow, that's awesome. I love the way that the game grows like that, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, and and it 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 also ha- happens with the coaches, too. You know, it's not just the players. The coaches can help permeate the the game. We need to see more of that, though, down here in the States. Mm. That's the thing. Like, hockey in Canada, that's a no-brainer. But in the States, like, that's that's where we need to see it permeate like that. But, um, no, just uh, on Montgomery, though, I I also – it also made me stop and think, who did he hire? Who did he bring in with him last year when he got the job? I don't think he brought any of his guys, quote-unquote, his guys with him from anywhere. I think he was the one that was the odd man out who was plucked and were like, yep, you're going to join this staff, you know? And, and so I wonder how much of this is him sitting there going, I want to have one of my guys in this spot now that it's open. Yep. No, I think he's going to have a a lot of input on this. You know, I I think that that's going to be a very important negotiation tactic is to get somebody that he's got, you know, some kind of system relationship with somebody that he can filter down. You know, obviously it's going to be a defensive coach, I, I would think. You know, and and that defensive system goes from Montgomery down to the down to you know assistant coach X down to the players on the on the back end. So I I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting because now I'm going to start looking into his past and who we worked and who we worked with, and you know in the previous years, either be at the NCAA level in, uh, in Colorado or, or um, at the NHL level of Dallas and St. Louis. It, it's going to be interesting, though, because to your point, you know, you're, you're talking about the youth, and you know, I know you have this on the agenda too. Sweeney mentioned that more youth will be involved. If Montgomery is more of a defensive guy, does it make more sense to bring in a guy for the offense, someone that can run with those bottom six guys where you have so much mix-up and change like some, if Montgomery can do the defense, why not bring someone in who can do the offense? Isn't that switched around though? Isn't Montgomery uh, wasn't he a forward as a pro? Well, I know he wanted to have them do more with the defensive zone breakouts and moving the puck from the back end. That's what I'm saying. Is is would you go with someone who knows more of what Montgomery is 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 heavy not in, if you will? Well, I get it. I get it. No, I just I just want to see a, a positive fit. To be honest with you, I, you know, I'm just in I'm in shambles right now thinking about who this addition could be because we just don't know. You know, it's 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 a bit of a mystery for me. For me, I, I want it to be a to me. It's just Monty picks the guy like this because he has to put his stamp. He came in. He said, "Look, the defensive system you guys have is incredible." I don't want to mess with that. I want to take that. I want to, you know, blend it with my system. And so the defense will get more active, but yet you'll have the same kind of uh, solid uh, defensive zone coverage. And he did that. 
but you know, obviously, you know, something went wrong. So now it he's the coach. He's the one that has to start molding that staff and that system. That's not Sweeney's job, right? Like, or at least not in my opinion, that like you're not anything your GM should be deciding. That's Monty, you're the man that's here. Do it your way. Have that confidence and be that coach. So, uh, you know, I'm just going to have to uh, you know, lean into Monty in that way and say, okay, this is the guy that he wanted. So let's see what happens now. I don't want Monty. Uh, here's Monty. And then, oh, here's all of Bruce Cassidy's. Assistance. Right? No, he came in to change it. So let him change it. Um, and I, nope. Go ahead, Mark. I'm, I'm also for, um, you know, I was a big proponent of the Gruden Sidon uh, last off season because of what he could have brought. Um, and, and that's more offense to the defense, you know, generating more shots from the back end, like we talked about a little bit earlier. So I kind of think that they're probably going to want to go with that same system moving forward into next year, um, you know, to be even more potent team, less a goal scorer like Taylor Hall, less a lot of the the intangibles that this team did have last season that were 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 seen for a record breaking regular season, but you know, obviously non existent in the postseason. But, you know, hopefully that change. You know, maybe the philosophy changes just a little bit where Jim Montgomery needs to be more of a, a head coach and not a player's coach and kind of be stern in some of the, some in more more moments that we saw last year. Like in the playoffs, when I saw him freaking smash a fucking water bottle in the back of the, I want to see more of that even during the regular season in the good times, just to show that the players, we don't take, we we don't take back steps. We're not backtracking here. We're constantly moving forward, and that's when, in my opinion, the coach really needs to be on everybody's toes, regardless of 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 accolades. And I think I think we're going to see a lot more growth in Jim Montgomery in his second year. And I think, in my gut, one of the reasons why we're going to see that is because, and Mark, you mentioned this too, our friend of the show, Dom Tiano, has sent out a tweet that has basically verified that Bergeron is working out heavily in Boston. So obviously that is going to set Twitter ablaze. Uh I've felt like Bergeron would come back from the end of last season just because that's not a way that he would want to leave. Like, he would leave on a loss, but not that kind of loss. Not when they had 1,700 chances to win. It, he would lose, He would walk away on a loss where it's like, okay, we, we did everything we could. I, I'd rather see him leave and us not make the playoffs simply because everything was transitioning and he's just like, all right. I'm too old. I'm done. I want to spend time with my family and all that stuff. But with Dom Stiano tweet out there, do you guys think Bergeron comes back? I do. I've, I've thought all along he'd be back. I've had very little doubt personally. Yeah. How yeah, does his same. return change the way this roster feels for you guys, if that makes sense? I don't. The, this is the problem with having assumed he'd be back the whole time. It doesn't change it for me because I've always like I've got him penciled in for one seat I've got and it's just like if he doesn't come back like that's when I've, my whole roster is going to explode and I'm going to have to put the pieces back together just like well they are as well but that like for me it's yeah okay he's working out of Boston of course he is he's coming back next year I'm just you know he hasn't signed he will no big deal 
For me, it's it's if both of them come back. If both Bergeron and Krejci come back, I think that's when you're going to see, uh, I don't know, kind of a weird roster. See, Krejci comes if, up, coming back, blows up my roster. <laughs> yeah, that's yes. what I'm saying. That's yes. what I'm saying. Yes. Because you don't know exactly what direction, or at least I do. You don't know what direction they're actually going in. Are they going in for the old boys club? Are they going into tweak a little bit of the system to try to get better in certain areas where they were exposed heavily against the Florida Panthers in the first round this year? So I, I really don't know, but I, I, I want to say Bergeron is definitely coming back because the fact is that this is these aren't normal workouts that Dom's talking about off season workouts for an older man that's about to retire. These are workouts that are seemingly getting him ready to make that decision and commitment to come back for the one hundredth centennial season. And I, I like what I'm hearing. And if he's doing that and the back is good with the herniated disc and so on and he got I believe it didn't require surgery, but it no, might I, take I surgery for him. Yeah, it might take time to heal completely, which, you know, they got out in May. So he's had all this time to work himself back into the lineup. I could definitely see it happening. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I'm still intrigued about what the roster is going to look like. And I think that we should do an exercise, Chris, uh, in the next week or two when the when the news gets down to barely anything, that we could pretty much do a whole two-hour program on like a, a 100th centennial draft, you know? I think, I think that's a solid idea, yeah. That'll, yeah. that'll come to fruition. We can, we can get Jay involved. We can get uh, seven other people involved and have a 10-person draft right here on the BNG uh, Hockey Podcast Network. And I think we, got, we have a lot of fun. Some drinks. Nine hosts and we auction off the 10th spot to a fan. Yeah, what well, no. I mean, we got time to we got time to th- figure shit out and get the right people in there that are, you know that are gonna you know do it accordingly and timely and but have fun but still get content out. Oh yeah, yeah. no, that that'll be a good way to do it. That's a good idea. Can I ask you? I just we went from Monty to Bergeron, and I have a question that connects the two of them. Sure. Is it possible? How do I put this? Is Bergeron being on the team? actually a hindrance to Monty being able to coach his way like does he does he give Bergeron too much which I know is impossible to do but does he give Bergeron too much respect like Bergeron leads a little more where you know Monty you are the coach like Bergeron is our own personal Jesus but you're allowed to be firm like do you know what I mean I know exactly I what do. you mean, and I love the question. And I think last year that's part of what got Monty in trouble is he let some of the, the players make the decisions more than he should have. Obviously, it all worked out during the regular season. But the playoffs, as Mark said, are a very different animal. And that's when you need your coach to come in and say, Linus, we've leaned on you this much. We want to have you available for next round. We've got to go sway here. Not that you can't do it. This isn't a, That's the whole point of the coach's job is to manage the egos and sit there and say, not that you can't do it. You're hurt. He's fresh. Let's go with him. Let's put the series away and make it, obviously, like you said, they're best friends. So it's not like he's going to hate on him for, for doing well. But you just you draw that line of this is when it matters. 
I need to decide and I need to draw a line. And that line is you're hurt. He's not, he plays. I, I think that's something that Monty will show from year one to year two. I think it'll be easier to be seen if Bergeron is still there because it's, it's a lot less like, Oh, well, how would it have been handled with Bergeron here? Cause that's the other thing is, is the first year that we don't have Bergeron, that's going to be the first year where everyone goes, well, Bergeron was here. This would have happened. If Bergeron was here, this would have happened. This yeah. wouldn't have happened if Bergeron was here. Yeah. 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 Year Definitely one of right. uh, AB is going to be difficult. Yeah. Well, and, and after, after Bergeron's going to, I'm not ready for it. So. And how much does the team as an organization really lean on Bergeron? If Bergeron was sitting there saying, don't sign this guy in December, and they still went out and they signed him. The guy we don't talk about anymore. Uh, that, yeah. I, I, how much, you know, does Bergeron's opinion matter if, um, if they still went against it? That's my question. At least at an organizational level. As a coaching staff, I, I, I don't know. But, but at the uh, same time, isn't, again, that mistake aside, does it, you want, your, like, I like the idea of them talking to Bergeron, but I still, I, I'd hate for Bergeron to be the de facto GM slash coach, I guess, right? So them making that decision, Bergeron knew the right thing to do because, of course, he did. He's Bergeron. He Googled but it. But they, they see, right, he just basically picked up his phone for 30 seconds. But he, I mean, you wouldn't want them following everything he does either. So the decision is stupid as it was, as you know, brick wall as it was, at least it shows that they don't always listen to Bergeron, although this was a time where he was right. So it's not the greatest example, but I, but my, my concern on that though, is the fact that he came to them as a voice of the room. He, hmm. he came to them as this isn't my opinion as captain. This is our locker room. But if you notice how he kind of danced around, it was like, listen, it's not our decision. We can only make the best of it. So if it comes to this, we will, we will give him his chance, but he's got to earn it. And, and he was firm about this is how the room feels about it, whereas, you know, they knew where the line was. It's not our decision. Yeah. Our decision is how do we handle what goes on. Yeah, I think that's one part of that issue that wasn't discussed enough is how incredibly well our locker room handled it. To me, like they were not like it was they really walked that line of, well, we can't do anything about it. And this little fuck gets his chance, then he's going to do it our way or he's not going to be doing it. Like it, it, you felt it in it. And I, I really like that was the whole thing aside. I, that was the part that wasn't talked about enough is I think that you saw that leadership in that room with that issue. And you saw it permeate through him and, and all the veterans, you know, Felino dealt with it. Mar- Marshan dealt with it. They all dealt with it in that same you know way if you will it was it was a mantra if you will you know this is how we're going to handle it we may not like it but we we have to deal with it you know and 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 that little microcosm of events i think really does solidify we keep hearing how good this locker room is and what a guy like chara and you know bergeron mean to the locker room but you know that that instance right there also I don't want to say let's go through that without Bergeron but let's go through some adversity without Bergeron what happens 
you know, who's the one in that locker room? Let's say, let's put it through that scenario. Remove Bergeron. Who's the one in that locker room who sits there and, and kind of gets the guys together and says, how, how are we going to deal with this? What are, what are we going to say when we're asked questions? Because, you know, they face media more than ownership and then, you know, so far up. What are we going to say? How are we going to handle it? How do we feel about it, too? Because they also have to have that discussion, you know? So my question is, is who other than Bergeron on this lock, on this roster right now can hold that group conversation? Who do you guys think? You got to look back on the, on the defense. I want to say McAvoy. I don't know. Tough question. You're pretty much, you're pretty much in line with asking who's the next captain. Sort of. But my, my, See, my question, the reason why I'm asking it this way is on the current roster, we don't have Bergeron signed. Who would be the one right. to take that conversation by the horns and say, we have to have this conversation? I have someone in mind, and I think it would surprise you guys. For me, it, I guess it would be in, in that scenario, it's Marchand for me. I think especially what we saw out of him this year, it was almost like he was campaigning to be the captain when Bergeron's gone. Like he just, I think he can talk to the room that way. I think he talks to guys that way. I think he's honest he's forward but he's incredibly supportive like his leadership style comes from bergeron and marchand was you know he's from hammond's plains about 30 minutes that way and there are a lot of people there that weren't happy he won the cup he was like you know he they called him a rat and a lot of things for a reason right oh, but yeah. look we of course have watched him blossom and uh, to me, that's him. Like, I think if Bergeron doesn't come back and an event like that happens next year, regardless of who has the C, I think it's 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 Marchand who's commanding the room there. I'd have to say Brandon Carlo. I would go with Milan Lucic. Right now, <laughs> off of this current <laughs> roster, all right. I think Lucic. It's been here 10 all minutes. Right. All right. <laughs> but my point is, is he's the one who can look at it from an outsider's perspective okay. and say, right. if we don't deal with this, this will destroy our season. Well, your you know your optics are valid. I, I and, like the way you're going with and it. And he may not lead the conversation, but he's the one who will get everyone in the room and lock the door and say, "No one's fucking leaving. You're leaving through me when we're done." Oh, right. so he's running security. Marchand is talking, <laughs> and Luch is standing by the door, like you can sit your fucking ass down, right? Something okay, like okay, something like that. It would right. be a group effort, you know. One of them is much bigger than the other, so. All right, that's funny. Milan Lucic. Is now Brad Marchand's bodyguard. <laughs> Literally, his ballet like Virgil in the Million Dollar Man or something. I just it, it to me that's a, a perspective. Like he's the one who can sit there and say, if we don't deal with this, right or wrong, if we don't deal with it, it breaks us apart. So we need to have a conversation. We need the awkwardness for an hour, and then we move on from it. And again, I, I don't disagree with Brad Marshan being able to do it. I don't disagree with a guy like, you know, Carlo having the C, all those things. But for such an egregious event like that, it would be someone who's more veteran, someone who's more passionate about the Bruins' way of doing things, in my opinion, at least. But yes, I know he's only been here for 10 minutes. So, you know. <laughs> I'll say one last thing. This is a good problem to have, by the way. All three yes. of us had three different guys that we felt could step up in a moment like that. There are teams who don't have one guy who could step up in a moment like that. Calgary. So, right. It's a good problem. Cal- exactly. It's a good problem to have. 
you know, and I think some of it was Milan knew then in Calgary that wasn't his role. He knows he's coming here to be a locker room guy, yeah. to monitor the locker room. And, you know, it, it's almost like a hierarchy where, you know, yeah, Bergeron's the captain, but, like, people have to talk to Bergeron. And as much as he is, you know, I'm, I'm sure Pavel Zaka has no issues talking to Bergeron one-on-one, but, like, you know, he's going to talk to the guys next to him in the locker room, you know, his locker mates, and then it's going to feed up to Bergeron. If there's a, a consensus feeling about something, a guy like Lucic or Marshan or Coyle, they then sit down and they go, hey, uh, Patrice, we need to have a, a team meeting about this because I'm here in this, this, and this. We got to sort it out. You know, it, it's like the identifiers and, and that kind of thing. So it'll definitely be interesting. And, and Jay, to your point, those first, that first year after Bergeron is going to be interesting to say the least. Oh yeah. yeah. Tough transition. It's going to be strange. I wouldn't be surprised if they had four A's float around for a year or two after that. Carlo, Pasta, McAvoy, like absolutely like, easily. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. That, Solid that first choices. Year, that first year, let's say it's this year. Ma- uh, Pasternak, McAvoy, Carlo, and Marshan. I know we're we're kind of getting towards the end here, Mark. I know you wanted to talk about the the release of the American Hockey League schedule as well. Obviously, that affects the Bruins and their development with the with the Providence Bruins and and that sort of thing. What were your thoughts on on that coming up? Yeah, the uh, the Providence Bruins released their 2023-24 regular season schedule. Uh, exciting, you know, news at this particular junction of the offseason, but I'm really excited about what's to come from Providence. Um, If you look on EliteProspects.com on the Providence Bruins page, you can see some potentials that are definitely going to be there, and the team looks pretty decent thus far, especially in goal. Kyle Kaiser and uh, Brandon Bussey and, you know, um, what kind of year Brett Harrison's going to have and and Mason Lowry and, and, and Fabian Lysel and Georgie Mikuloff, if, if he's still down there. So the upcoming year really looks good when you when you look at the organization's depth. Um, but um, the schedule got released, and they're, they're going to play Bridgeport 12 times, six home, six on the road. Springfield Thunderbird, six home, six on the road. Hartford Wolfpack, five home, five on the road. The Hershey Bears... Three home, three on the road. The Lehigh Valley Phantoms, three home, three on the road. Wilkes Bear Scranton Penguins, three home, three on the road. Utica Comets, um, two home, two on the road. The Syracuse Crunch, two home, two on the road. The Charlotte Checkers, two home, two on the road. And this is a new one. The Cleveland Monsters. They're going out west, baby. Uh, they're going to play two home and two on the road. The Rochester Americans, one home, one on the road. And the Toronto Marlies, one home and one on the road. So No, um, no games against the Halifax Citadels? None? Uh, absolutely none. Sorry, <laughs> sir. Again. Sorry, sir. The, uh, oh. the, PGA, the PGA to uh, the, uh, the great NS, uh, unavailable. <laughs> All right. That's fine. But... But no, I mean, uh, I'm looking forward to, I mean, I've, I, I watch a ton of hockey, so when there's no Bruins on, I float around the American Hockey League to find a game. And, you know, obviously, uh, Cleveland's a good team. You know, they won a call the Cup not too long ago. So, and that's the, uh, I believe that's still the the minor pro affiliate of the, I think it's, is it? I don't know who it is. Because I think uh, Colorado Eagles are now the 
American Hockey League affiliate of the Avalanche. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure. I'd have to double check. I forget too, but I know they've been a good solid team down in the A for a while. So yep. it'll be interesting to see how uh, how some of those games go. I'm looking forward to watching them myself. It, you know, you mentioned the names. You know, Merkulov, yep. Harrison. Like I was not impressed with Harrison at development camp, but that doesn't mean he can't fix it. You know, right. and, I, and I think some of these games at the AHL level might be a, a brush under the chin that a kid like that can can need sometimes. You know, he just doesn't, you know, I would say he leads into the physicality with a stick first and it shows, you know, and, and that's it's OK as, you know, the last couple of years for everybody have been in a fucking blender and a half. You know, COVID yeah. did that to yeah. everybody. So I, I can't sit here and fault a 20 year old kid for you know, lead, for being unsure about something in anything in life right now. <laughs> right. You know, so. I will say that Brett Harrison is going to have his chance to have that type of game coached out of him. That would be something. Yeah, that that's something that uh, Ryan Mujanel and Trent uh, Whitfield will all be able to get um, in, uh, through to him, you know, becoming a first-time pro. Um, and also, Adam McQuaid is always down there, too, to lend hand. Uh, to the younger people, um, you know, that are developing in the Bruins organization for that physicality factor as well, how to position yourself appropriately to get hit and so on. I think there's a lot of good mentorships that's going to happen from this um, this upcoming season. And, you oh, know, yeah. not every team, not every American Hockey League team is going to win the Calder Cup every year. Uh, it's very no. hard to do at the American Hockey League level because of the constant influx of the roster. When somebody gets injured at the at the higher NHL level, everything moves from the e, from the East Coast Hockey League up to the AHL and and so on. There's a constant movement when things happen at the higher level. So it's so hard to take good players that you're that are next up and coming NHLers that are up on the rise because they're there for at the NHL level for an emergency purpose, you know. You have to facilitate everything below. Yeah, it's it's nice to have a guy like Lauco who can just hop on ninety five and go up and down. Exactly. <laughs> so I I think he'll have a good shot to to make the roster out of camp. Oscar Steen, like I'm looking forward to training camp more than any other season. There's just so much that that to look towards, and and I want to be clear about about Brett Harrison, like. All I'm saying is he's not in my top five, you know, as far as being ready, available, you know. And that's you not got, bad for a first no. year AHL pro. It's not bad. No, and and that's why I'm looking forward to seeing him and what he can do, what can get coached out of him. I mean, that's one of those things where it might take a month, it might take an entire year, but if it clicks, yep. I mean, the kid has the hands, he can skate. Like it's literally the only thing I can look at his game and go, I don't like that. And as long. As long as you've seen a constant improvement in his game as a first-year pro, that you have something in him. It's you. I, I'm constantly preaching nowadays that when you're developing players, please have patience. Even as fans, please, please have patience. This is not a league that rushes its number one stars to the NHL fast anymore. There's intangibles that all these young players have to get because it's a very very big transition for them as well. Like, I'll use Fabian Lysel as an example. He just might be a little bit uh, anxious about everything that's going on and how he's transitioning over to, you know, North America, away from his family, 
This is not easy stuff uh, for a young player to, to you know, act like a sponge and take in all the time. So, you know, that's why I kind of think that this uh, Jesper Boquist is a really, really sneakily great idea for a player like Lysel. The guy's from Sweden. He's um, uh, three years older than Fabian. If Boquist doesn't work and he passes through the waiver process, this could be like a Vinny Letary for a player like Lasell, but a countryman. Somebody that he can, you know, rub shoulders with and ideas and talk to and be comfortable with, you know what I mean? As, as Lysel continues to develop, he might need somebody like a Boquist to kind of lean on. Just my opinion and speculation, by the way. No, I, I, it's a it's a solid idea and a solid thought too. I mean, if you look at what they're doing, they've they've gone out, they've got a couple checks, they've gone out, they've got a couple, you know, various European players to you know kind of lean on and stuff. But you know, in the all area, the mafias it, keep growing, <laughs> yeah, right? Um, it, it, it it's going to be interesting. You know, and I know a lot of people, as soon as Zadina hit the waiver wire, everyone's like, go get him. He's checked. Check, check. Go get him. Go get him. Go get him. You know, I think Boquist is a sneaky better get. I do. I, you know, there's less pressure on him for one because he's not a number one, a number six overall pick trying to figure it all out again. But it, it's, it's the domino effect. You brought in a guy like Pavel Zaka last year. You know, Boquist is the guy this year. They played with each other in New Jersey, so he can take him under his wing a little bit and be like, no, you're you're going to be put in positions to succeed here. Keep the positive. Because that's the biggest thing is, is this locker room is always positive. There's yeah. no, there's there's very little negativity. Even in the most negative times, as we talked about, they were still finding the positive way to handle things. Mm-hmm. and And that's probably the most underrated thing about this locker room you know it it permeates out there's there's the problems aren't problems unless twitter fans want them to be (laughs) and they want them to be let's say that um you know and and people are always going to want to find the problems and stuff like that but you know it's as as we talked about lots of youth and lots of opportunity that's what that's what should be the most exciting because a guy like Harrison could, if he gets over it, if he gets into the physical part of the game, in two years from now, he could be pushing for an NHL roster spot. That's how open this roster is. Oh, you yeah. know, yeah. A, a guy like Mason Lorai, he could push this year. You know, and, and to your point, Mark, players are realizing they have other paths to get to the NHL. Just because they go and play in college doesn't mean their NHL chance is gone. And right. you're seeing a lot of that. And and the NCAA is going to be awesome to watch this year. Like, just as a hockey fan, I cannot wait. But we still got over 80 days, and that sucks. Yeah. Speaking of uh, NCAA and Providence and so on, um, I am going to be starting up my Providence Hockey Report podcast. Uh, it's going to be more regular this season. Uh, last season was kind of uh, a shit show because I just got so busy, but I am definitely making time to talk Providence for at least 30 minutes every week. Um, and I think the first episode, the second episode, we're going to have Brandon Bussy on. And I'm really excited about that interview to talk to him about how the the NCAA is producing so many great goaltenders when they're drafted, particularly because of the time that they spend in the NCAA. 
um, you know, gives them four years of development and still under team control. And that's really good when you can release a goaltender at 22, 23 years old, already ready to play pro hockey. So I'm really excited to talk to Brandon about that. I have his contact information. So we're going to get, um, you know, something done in the next week or two. And I'm, nice. I'm stoked about this new project. And I'm going to be getting more players on and more coach interviews with Mujanel if he actually is in Providence next year. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities for some really good content from me. Uh, and our sports media company, which we continue to look for more uh, writers, podcasters, and so on. So if you want to reach out and join our crew and, and produce content at a level that's accepted, credentialed by the NHL, uh, AHL, and ECHL, please let me know. Uh, Black and Gold Productions, LLC at gmail.com. Send me a cover letter. Send me what you want to cover. Send me what you know, kind of time you have to, to commit to um, – to joining our team and we might have a, a, a fit for you. And I know we have a, we have a ton of shows. I, I, I know I won't be able to mention all of you them. You know what? We'll, we'll start updating our shows every week. We'll write down a list and so on and make sure you go over and follow them and go on Apple podcasts and, and subscribe to their programs. Much like the baked bear pod with uh, Jay below. Uh, one of my one of my favorite programs for a good laugh, and I love the strand update. That's my, one of my favorites. I like the the seeky, um, you know, the smooth tasting and all that stuff. Yes. God, I love that stuff. <laughs> yeah, but I, I realized, like my my byline was like Bears, Blunts, Boston Bruins hockey, and I was like, I don't actually mention <laughs> enough about the Blunts. So I was like, yeah, let's bring that back in. Yeah. The best part though is, is they're all different too. Like, yes. yeah. Oh, you know, you something for everyone. You make you mentioned the Baked Bear. Uh, you know, we'll promote all of them, but like Broad Street to Boston Hockey Podcast, that's a newer one. You mentioned the Providence Hockey Report. We got Only Brewing, Something's Brewing, What's Brewing, Puck Off. Uh, with you know, two of those I work with. A couple great guys with Mike Sullivan. I do What's Brewing with Puck Off. I do with Andrew Johnson, who you can also find on the Short Shift Podcast, which is you know crushing their numbers over there. You know, Ian Thomas, shout out. They do a great job over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boosie and Brett do a great job over, over at Only Bruins. Something's Brewing with Mike and, and Nick. That show is really starting to to, to develop. I love it. it. It's been great to see. Uh, Drop the Mitts, they just had uh, Billy Jaffe on. Yeah, you know, yeah. really um, good episode. It was, a, yeah. it was a great episode, great interview. Shout out to Chris Davis, Mike Sullivan over there. Obviously, Absolutely. you've got us here anchoring everything here at the black and gold hockey podcast uh obviously jay filling in very admirably for for grace last minute hopefully Thank she's you. okay and you know she yeah. returns next week but uh you know we'll always have something and and the jay- best part is is none of us are shutting down <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah hey before i get to the patreon mention and the, and the jersey we're giving away at the end of july jay i want to thank you so much for covering for grace uh on sh- really short notice you've been a a tremendous guest uh, the second time, so now you're officially a friend of the the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast, and uh, let's get let's get back together more often. You know this uh, this off season and kind of do uh, some collabs if you want. You know just to get yeah. the content out, we'd really love that. Um, if what I do, I just wanted to say thank you for the you know the last minute um, you know appearance. Yeah, I appreciate um, the opportunity. Absolutely. Let me jump right into the Patreon. Uh, we do have a Patreon uh, campaign going on. If you want to be a um, eligible to receive a um, or win 
a, a hand-signed Boston Bruins jersey. Uh, this month, two weeks, Sean Thornton, Stanley Cup champion, 2011, fully authenticated. This is a beauty from uh, Bruce Sullivan from Boston Sports and Music Memorabilia. I'm getting more jerseys after this one. So we're going to be going right through the offseason and all into next year. I'm probably going to get like nine jerseys for the next nine months. So just a dollar. If you want to spice up that fan cave because I know you need it. I've been looking in your windows. It looks terrible. You need more black and gold. You need more stuff like this all over your, all over your walls. So... Please go to Black and Gold. I mean, please go to patreon.com slash black and gold hockey podcast. Donate one dollar per episode and we'll give you one of these fantastic things. Jay, you gotta put the towel back up now. <laughs> yeah. Oh I got I got a second one over here. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> did it did the second one fall? Oh, that's the playoff one too. Yeah. That's the Was one that, that the fell earlier. Playoff one from 2011? No, that's a 2019. Um ah. My Which wife, but it was the year that it, the Bruins and the Leafs were on a collision course for the second round, and of course the Leafs found a way to lose. Um, but that was so. <laughs> we, I was gonna go to Boston. My my wife planned to buy me and and her brother who was a Leafs fan uh, tickets to go to the Give Bruins and, and the Leafs, and of course, and my condolences. Yes, of course. <laughs> and and it, and it was like, well, Toronto didn't get through, and she was like, well, hell of it, we'll go. And we went to the game five against Columbus. And it was just, it was nuts. Like that whole, just to be around playoff hockey and, and the crowd. And it was a game where they had a lead, lost it, and then, you know, won late. And it was, the game was nuts. The crowd was nuts. It was, uh, it was nice to, it was my first playoff NHL hockey game too. And yeah, so I've That's still got the two, uh, those two towels. Yeah. That's a awesome. good way to do it. So, yeah, um, but yeah, no, for just a dollar, I mean, I, I'd pay more than a dollar for it, but Mark won't give it to me. So you know. <laughs> it's for the people. My it's for the people. Obviously, obviously, if you sign up and donate a dollar, you'll be eligible. But, Cheap bastard. Um, <laughs> we, we've, we've been going at this for, for almost two hours. So did you guys have any final thoughts on the week that was what you're looking forward to? Like I said, I'm. I, I have the countdown already going on my phone. We're at 87 days until puck drop on regular season, but before that, we got training camp. I'm pumped. Uh, for me, it's it's uh, looking forward to hearing more about Patrice Bergeron, uh, tr- trying to settle that um, whole thing, and I know that there's, there's no rush. I know Kevin Paul DuPont wrote an article about how important it is for him to decide now. Um, I don't believe that. Um, but there is a, it is a business. We need to figure out what we're doing moving forward if we have to make more additions or subtractions, whatever. But I, I'm just really intrigued about what the next week um, is going to look like. And obviously, you know, we'll, we'll come up with some uh, interesting topics to talk about, maybe even have a guest on if, uh, if Grace returns next week. Um, I don't know. We might even have Dom Tiano on. I'm not sure. But, and then I want to start getting into like looking at other guests, like Tim from the Dropping the Gloves Hockey Podcast. He's a diehard Bruins fan from New England, so he'd be a great person to have on. Uh, Bobby Robbins is interested in, in coming on the program and promoting his book. Longtime Providence Bruins player, you know, familiar with Bruce Cassidy. So we have a we have a ton of ideas that are going on, and obviously uh, there'll be an interview with Brandon Bussey that I got going on with the uh, Providence mm-hmm. Hockey Report. So that's what I got. Yeah. Lots of content. Jay, you got anything special coming up on the Baked Bear? Just working on 
some things it, it's uh yeah it's a weird i got a few strains that i'm uh you know been trying out mark so i'll have some of that anyway and uh nice. it's just taught like a lot of what i do is is it's looking at the fan reactions to things and trying to talk people down off of ledges and like one thing that you said earlier chris was how like much you're looking forward to training camp and i'm the same way like last year was great and then it sucked but like there's a lot to be excited about or at least to be interested in right like who are the young guys who make the push who are the young guys who start getting serious minutes like it does Bergeron. Like, there's a lot of pieces that if you want to be negative about it and just say, oh, my God, what a fucking mess, go do that. But to me as right. a fan, there's it has there's has the potential for a lot of interesting stuff. Now, does it end up being interesting and super positive? I don't know. But I don't know what else we can ask for than it being interesting. But and, and you know what? To your point, maybe it becomes a dumpster fire. It, I mean, it could. <laughs> it does. That'll be interesting. That'll give us a hell of a lot more to talk about. Exactly. Right. (laughs) What went wrong? We love doing those. Oh, yeah. I'm a a Washington Commanders fan, and I don't know how much NFL you guys watch, but um, our owner for the last 25 years has turned the team into a dumpster fire for 25 years. And all the podcasters I listen to for those, like, that's what they talk about. They're like, we... Because people think, oh, you love talking about how bad everything is. And they're like, oh, my God, we would give anything to cheer for a normal or to report <laughs> and talk about football instead of nonsense. And, you know, but yeah. it Emails fills their minutes, man. Crap content, like that. Content. Who yeah. wants to talk about that? I want to talk about what, you know, I, I love the fact that we can sit here and we have to have a conversation about, you know, whether or not is Mason Lori ready for the pros? You know, like, yeah. is he ready to make the jump? What What do we need to see from him? And like. Those are much better conversations to have than, did you hear the owner's emails got leaked? Exactly. Yeah. Like, or the, the owner is the email. one who leaked the emails. <laughs> right. Or is he the one who leaked them? Like, we all send emails. Emails are boring. There's a reason why we get on here and do this with video and audio yeah. and go through the editing process. And, Mark, I'm sorry. This is going to be long for you to edit. <laughs> no, that's all right. Hey, I, hey, before before we sign off and, uh, and hear from our title sponsor one last time, I do want to put up a poll that I did uh, a couple of days ago. And uh, regardless of the Bergeron, a crazy decision on returning for another year of NHL Bruins hockey, how f- how far do you got- think it's... Oh, my God. I can't see this. How far do you Three. think this can go? No, let me do it. Three, okay. two, one. Regardless of the Bruins and crazy decisions on returning for another year of NHL Bruins hockey, how far do you think this team can go on a very early 2023-24 season prediction? I'm just ga- I said I was gauging the Boston fan base uh, for topics for this weekend's Black and Gold Hockey Podcast recording, and 12% said out of the playoffs, 68 said wildcard team, 10% said conference final team, and 10% said uh, Stanley Cup champions, and uh, that came from 996 <laughs> votes. So thank you very much for participating. Truly appreciate it. But it's interesting on how to gauge the fan base, though. Yeah, I think when I answered that, I answered wild card team. All right? Did too. But here's the thing: my answer is not on there. I think they are a second round exit. Ah, because okay. I 
I think they are in the top three in this division. One thing that we keep forgetting is just how bad some of the teams in this division are or how bad their cap situation is that they aren't able – like last year we saw Toronto have to go out and basically sign an e-bug because they could not put an NHL, AHL caliber backup goaltender on their roster. So first and foremost, let's appreciate the fuck out of Evan Gold while we have him because we may not have him forever, and he does not put us in those positions. So as much as you may hate some of his moves, he's thinking ahead. So that does not become us. All right? Mm -hmm. Let's emphasize that. But teams like Toronto – is is Toronto better than you on paper right now? Probably, yeah. Does that mean that you won't be a top three team in the division? No, there's still three of them. You know, Florida, they're going to be without – Ekblad and Montour for quite a while. They're both recovering from major injuries, so they may be fighting for a wild card team. You know, we were talking about how excited we are for training camp and stuff, but there's 31 other teams that are in a very similar situation to us. We just don't know them as in depth because we're Bruins fans. That's what it is. Right. <laughs> you know, we know our Brett Harrisons, we know our Ryan Masks, we know our Mason Lorais, but these 31 other teams have the same fucking questions. Mm-hmm. Some of them are still sitting there going, why the fuck are we paying this guy $10 million to be in net? But one playoff run might help that. So, you know, it, it's fun. It's hockey. It's yeah. fun. If you can't have fun, what are we doing? And I answered, like, I answered Stanley Cup champion on that. And it's not because I think that's what's going to happen. It's because I look at the talent we have just by the core guys, you Argue what you like. We got the two number one goalies. We still got Pasta. Still got McAvoy. Still got JD. Like, there's too much talent to not like. Are you really think like this team gets into the playoffs as the seven or eight seed or third in the Atlantic? There's no reason on paper that you look at that roster and say there's they. Of course they could. Hockey has wild variants. Oh yeah. And like Florida, we look at Florida's run and how unexpected it was, and our demise and how unexpected it was that is hockey. So to me, the can is the team's too. I mean, if I'm a Coyotes fan, I'm not answering Stanley Cup because they can't win the Stanley Cup. No matter what happens, it's imp- literally impossible. <laughs> but that Bruins team, I look at that leadership and I say, man, they they can. Uh, answering honestly, wildcard team. And I think that's what most fans are, you know, I mean, they're trying to be honest and I, I actually really appreciate that. Yeah, I Honestly, I think that's their ceiling is a second second round exit. Mm-hmm. But to your point, there's no reason why they couldn't push for a cup. Well, because they have one other the other thing. teams and yeah, their they injuries have one too. Huge thing that we know of, and that's depth. They have so much depth that they're pushing the cap. They're pushing, you know, we, we've got people who before making a Google search will just scream, buy out Derek Forbert. It's like, well, you can't, but nice try. Love the enthusiasm. Use Google for five minutes. But <laughs> I get it. You know, but that that's how passionate they are, too. They, they just they want to see what they think is the better team. And, and that's what I'm looking forward to this offseason. Yeah. You know, it's probably going to be boring on the books because we're pretty much done with it. But off the books, there, there's so much to talk about going into the centennial season. I'm looking forward to all those projects. Mark, mm-hmm. uh, I'll toss this over to you. Uh, I know you you wanted to hear from uh, FanDuel one more time. We can we can get that out there. It's FanDuel.com slash Boston. Up to $1,000 yes. $1, in uh, bonus bets. If uh, if your first bet doesn't win, 
they give you your money back in the in the in the form of the non-withdrawable bonus bets. So it uh, it's a solid solid program. If if you don't bet with FanDuel, you should. Yeah, FanDuel is one of my go-to's apps. It is my only app actually that I use, and I'm not saying that because of the show sponsor here. Um, and I love horse racing. I love. I'm not a baseball guy, but I like betting on baseball. And I'm obviously hockey. You can get involved now because the the um, the odds are really good on next year's Stanley Cup champions. So if you want to, you know, put a five dollar on on the uh, Boston Bruins that are, I think are a plus eight hundred, that's a nice little return for you. Or if you want to oh, put yeah. a Hondo on the on the uh, on the Boston Bruins next year, that's an even better return if they win. So it's it's a it's all in fun, and it's it's all the sports. All sports are covered. And it's a safe and effective way to, to get your bet on on a regular or daily basis. And I know Andrew and I will have some, some bet talk during, the, uh, during some of our content on Puck Off coming up, how we feel about each team and what their bets and their odds are. So definitely check us out there. And, awesome. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been fun this Sunday morning. And uh, unless either of you guys got any final thoughts, I'll end it with Go Bees. Go Bees. Thanks again for tuning in and supporting this week's episode of the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating and write a review on listening platforms such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. If you'd like to contact the show for advertising opportunities or to send us a question or topic idea we should be discussing, please send us an email to blackandgoldproductionsllc at gmail.com. Don't forget to share our program on your social media platforms with other hockey fans and follow our Twitter accounts at Black and Gold Pod, at BNG Productions, at Black and Gold 277, and at Kevin underscore O'Keefe 89. Also, please don't forget to check out our official blackandgoldhockey.com website where we cover the Bruins organization from the NHL level down to the prospects worldwide. Peace out. Peace out.